listener production. Welcome back to the Howie Games, episode 74, featuring Joe and Renee Ingalls. You're about to listen to part B of the show. Enjoy. So, why don't you tell me the story of your family, Renee? You've got a couple of twins. You've we got do. Jacob and Miller, and that's one of the one of the reasons we're here as well. Yeah, they turned three last week, which is just it's insane to, <laughs> to like say that, that we've got three year old kids because it's just I mean, it feels like yesterday that they yeah that it, they were born. So the just, fact that uh, we've it, survived three years, crazy. I know that you've got to pick Jacob up, so yeah, you keep an eye on the clock, mate. No and we, yeah, when no you worries. need to go, you go. <laughs> Um, (laughs) I mean, having kids, I think, in both of our sporting careers, with us as a couple, with us as a family, it's just, it's. I mean, it's why we're on the earth. Like, there's no better thing than being a parent. So it's been a whirlwind of a three-year journey. It's been insane. And logistically, our lives are (laughs) nuts. I I don't know how we do it sometimes, but we make it work. Um, But I can honestly say a greatest achievement in our lives in the world right now is that um, we've got Jacob and Miller, healthy, happy three-year-old twins. Tell us the story of Jacob. Jacob. Jacob is in a lot of ways just like his dad, <laughs> loves cars, um, pretty laid back. I saw back. an old car out yeah. in the driveway. What's that? It's a uh, Toyota Camry. Oh. <laughs> I don't think it was a Toyota Camry. It's a uh, 65 Mustang. Okay. It was a uh, 30th birthday a present. Gift. Um, but, yeah, I do have a... Little uh, hobby, I guess you call it. Finally, an NBA player tendency. Cars coming. Well, I it's not actually a, bought it for right. us. So it's not a Ferrari. Um, it's okay. A, anyway, let's let's put the yeah. cars to the side. You we tell me about, about another. No. <laughs> okay, you tell me about your young fella. Yeah, um, Jacob's the most gentle, affectionate, kind little boy I think you could ever come across. Um, it's been a pretty challenging. Probably 12 months, we'd have yeah. to say. Um, For those that don't know the story of Jacob, can yeah, you explain Jacob why? in January, on January 8th, Eight. it was, was diagnosed with autism. Can um, you tell me how, how that takes place and what it's like as, a, as yeah, parents? Yeah, yeah. Um, the first thing we'd have to say is it's been really tough, yeah. I think, even before the diagnosis. To cut a long story short, the diagnosis day came, it was all the last part of a really long assessment process, we sat down, we were told that he had autism and we were shocked. And I'm not sure why we were shocked because it had been a long process. We'd probably in the lead up to that spoken a lot about the fact that he probably was going to get the diagnosis of autism. However, I guess we're pretty positive, happy-go-lucky people and in the back of our minds were like, yeah, but he doesn't have that diagnosis yet, so he might not have autism. We knew enough about it at that point to know that mm. we were more than likely going to get, get a, yeah. like a yes to, to him being it. But what is, it, what is autism from, from your understanding? Um, the easiest way to sum it up for us is probably developmental delay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and I think... Some of the Which comes with a lot of branches, I guess, and that, and that's the thing with autism. We can't give you one specific no. thing or um, anything about it, really, no. because it looks so many different ways. And when we talk about it, a spectrum, there are so that spectrum's huge, and it looks so From many different like ways. Like mild to severe people. is like and completely different. No two autistic children or no two autistic people are ever going to look the same or present the same. Um, so when you are given that diagnosis for the little man that you obviously love to bits, mm. 
what happens when you walk out of a room in a situation like that? Not um, much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like I, I think we, like I said, we were confident knowing that we knew enough that we were more than likely going to get the the answer we assumed, but mm. still hearing it from like we're sitting like we are now kind of thing and the doctor's there and it's like, yep. And I, I think we still, we said, like, I don't think we spoke like the whole way home. It was mm. just like a. Just edit Jacob in the back seat, really. Like. Yeah. Like Jacob's, know. we're driving home and it's just like, you just don't, you just kind of lost for words, I guess. And um, one thing I do remember was like walking back in the house and we were, I guess, lucky at the time that Renee's parents and stuff were over um, for yeah. Christmas and whatever. But just walking back in and. It was like you, I guess you thought we thought we were going to like, like you walk in, it's like they're obviously going to ask what happened and they didn't even ask anything. We both just started crying and it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't that we're crying because we're embarrassed of him or sad. Like it was just a, it was, had been a long three months or whatever it was and still shocked to get the answer you get because no matter as a parent, no matter <laughs> you just, to, to actually hear it from a professional. Um, but I guess very quickly after that, it was like, well, what do we, what, what do we do now? Yeah. Like we, we have to make sure Jacob gets the best therapy and however much that is, we'll make it happen because that's what you do as a parent. You, you obviously do whatever you have to do. And um, mm. so it's been those, especially those first, I think like looking back now, eight, nine months later, we were in a, very good spot with it and yeah. we enjoy talking about it, the awareness of it and, and making the, the general public realise that it's such a common thing and that... One, I think 1% of the population I read last night, yeah. which is, is somewhere on the autism spectrum. And that's spectrum. probably the biggest thing that, that's a the lot, message isn't it? that yeah. we want to put room. out. Sorry. Yeah, it is, it is, um, is that we would not have Jacob any other way. So we wouldn't change that Jacob got the diagnosis because he's a beautiful soul and teaches us more every day than probably we're teaching him at the moment. <laughs> but um, Jacob is Jacob and always has been and always will be. So we wouldn't take this away from him because that's who he's been since he was born. It's just probably, yeah, obviously given that it's more of the developmental delays um, that the older he gets, the more challenges that we're seeing. Joe, I read and I'm really interested to talk to you guys about sensory rooms and and, and the light. Um, I, I read that you didn't tell Utah immediately and you were sort of coming and going from basketball, but you, you weren't really invested at that little period of time. Not how, at how, all. So how did that <laughs> play I, out for you? I do feel bad, I guess, about that a little bit. But Well, how, how could you not, though, be um, like that? Yeah, I guess, like, Quinn did know really early on Um like I said, he was. He knew in the process before yeah, the diagnosis. He knew the whole time, and, and purely because I, if there was, if we were in Utah, I wasn't going to miss a, an appointment or a meeting or whatever it was. So it was purely on the fact that, like, if we have practice at ten and the meetings at ten, like I'm going to Jacob's thing, and that's my first priority, and that's like bad luck. Like it's just, and he was unbelievable with it. That's just. He didn't miss anything though, I because I'm I didn't. incredibly yeah. organised and made I, sure I scheduled everything outside I of the jazz schedule. You look <laughs> extremely organised to me, right? But just, just to have that support from him of like if yeah. you need a day or whatever. But yeah, for 
and I didn't realise at the time and it was when Renee actually said at one time that on January 8 or no, one on February 14 or whatever when we put the exclusive inside article out, mm-hmm. um, she said that that was like the first day that I was back to normal, like that she'd got me back. And mm-hmm. I guess looking back before that, I hadn't really realised but you start to think about like what went on and whatever and I... I remember now I'd, I went into practice for months on end and days and weeks and road trips and that and would like – I usually walk in and I'm talking and laughing and like – Hanging crap on something. Yeah, like there's always mm. something going on. Um, <laughs> and that's just my personality in, in general. But I, I walked in, practiced, walked out without talking to anyone. And I didn't really know it at the time and – at this point, kind of down the track a little, like a couple of my teammates knew. I'd, I'd spoken to a couple of them just because there was stuff um, going on that I wanted them to know that it wasn't just like me playing bad because I'm unfit or I'm missing. Like it was way more to that. And they, again, like Quinn, were like unbelievable. Like to have teammates that – same thing. Like they're, if they're not playing well and we're not winning, they're potentially losing out on money and jobs and, and to have – a couple of guys early on and then obviously a whole team that like would have like they've support like they've been unbelievable um mm. and to be able to like sit on the plane and i would sit next to ricky rubio to be able to sit on the plane and sit next to ricky and like talk to him and be like yeah we've just had the worst day ever like jacob this fan for him to like genuinely care like mm. you can like nod your head and like yeah it's tough like Hope you hope everything's right, but to have someone that like genuinely cares, it's like it, it's unbelievable. So, um, I guess looking back, I wish I hadn't been like that for so long. But I didn't. I just felt like I had so much pressure to. I would be away to make sure Renee was okay, to make sure Jake was okay, and also not forgetting about our daughter. Like we've got another kid as well. Of like, course, we had put so much time into Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. And it was like we can't forget about this little girl who's got so much going on in her life and she's developing so quickly and that and so um i guess i just felt so much pressure or or i don't even know what it was to make sure everyone was okay that i had just forgotten about the rest of the world really basketball friends everything like i had roughy guys like that that i speak to daily that i hadn't replied for like looking back on that 10 15 messages that i just hadn't replied to because i was just in such a different world at that point i guess renee Oh, I was speaking to someone the other day and I knew nothing about autism um, for about an hour and a half like this yeah. and, and they have an autistic child and, you know, you, you have children at the primary school my kids go to that are autistic and it's it's amazing how, I don't want to break any confidence here, but it's amazing mm. how the kids, I've got a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old, how they make no differential at all. It's wonderful, isn't it? Or it's just like, oh, yeah, such and such, she's autistic. Um, mm. So, you know, we just make sure such and such. And they don't blink an eye yeah. where I think back to you if I was at school and oh, we wouldn't yeah. have known what it was, yeah. Yeah. what that child would have been sub- yeah. subjected to. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. Um, and I think probably the number one thing um, that Joe and I are asked is, 
like what we find hardest about having a child on the spectrum. And I can honestly say that changes day to day. Um, for instance, today, my biggest concerns are and worry are the fact that Jacob at the moment is nonverbal. So if he's upset or struggling or having um, anxiety over something, he can't tell me what it is. So for us, it's a guessing game and eliminating things until maybe we get it right. Maybe we don't get it right. Maybe he just deals with it better. I don't know. So it's not knowing and it's finding those ways for him to communicate. Um, I really struggle with on a day-to-day basis. Is he ever going to say, mum? Is he ever going to say, I love you? And today I'm finding that really hard. Whereas you flip back to yesterday and I'm okay with all of that. I'm like, he points, he's communicating, he might bring a car over to us, he'll he'll take us over to the cupboard and point to his Pringles and that's what he's after today. So I'm fine with the nonverbal stuff, but yesterday my worry was about, well, what does his future look like? Is he going to have normal friendships and normal relationships? Is he going to get bullied at school? Is he going to go to normal school? How are, how are his and Miller's relationships going to be? Is he going to play sport? It's, so it's really a seesaw and an up and down roller coaster of what we're worried about day to day. And I think one of the biggest things we've learned probably since the diagnosis day, because immediately went to future and what this is going to look like and what we have to do for the future, all of those things came to our mind. Probably the biggest lesson we've learned is to take it one day at a time and that we cope so much better taking it one day at a time, me in particular, because I'm a planner and a perfectionist and like to know how things are going to look like. And now it's just, I think Jacob's helped us celebrate the small milestones and really just Whilst we'd like to say we're pretty grounded people, this just brought us back down a whole nother level. It just brings you back down to life, yeah, I think. they say life, like, giving, think. like having kids gives you perspective. It mm. did for yeah. me. My basketball was like, yeah. yeah, winning or losing is great, but like my kids and stuff is so much more important. Um, so what worries you? Renee just talked about what worries her. Yeah, what, I mean, what it's you? funny, bit of a funny. Like the first thing, thing I asked was like, is he going to play basketball? Like that was... Yeah. Good, and we we're good friends with with Matt Rogers and and Chloe, his yeah. wife, and and his was like, is is Max going to play rugby? Like it's that's obviously like when you look back on it at the at the time, I'm like, what a now like looking back now, it's like what a stupid question that was. Um, I think that yeah, I think the same stuff. It's the like the the bullying side of it, um, and especially because you see, like I still. Like I hate bringing up these like trolley type of people, but like reading things on our exclusive insight article and in the article, same thing. We said we wouldn't have Jacob any other way or whatever. And these people are like, well, if you wouldn't have him any other way, why would you put him in therapy? And blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, that's you're so stupid. You're so ignorant to like, you're not going to put your kid in school because you don't like. Of course, you want your kid to be as like keep keep learning and keep like the best they can be. Yeah. You're not going to put your kid in, not going to put them in school because you don't want them to be any other way. You're still going to put it like it's just a, a some very like ignorant people, and that's I think where our the, the awareness side of it and uh, like people don't realise how expensive this whole thing is. And we're we're obviously very lucky. What we were talking about earlier, we can get Jacob the best of the best, and he'll be in everything he needs to be in until he doesn't need it anymore. But there's families that like it's 100 120 grand a year like if you're a regular family that's dad's working mums might be at home with the kids stay at home i'm like 
you've got a mortgage and a car and like it's like those it's, numbers are unachievable it's impossible there's a there's people we know that like jacob does 20 to 25 hours a week there's people we know doing two because that's all they can afford like um so we we obviously like i said are, are very lucky in the fact that we can put Jacob in all this, but that awareness side of it, the, the fundraising side of it, which we're, we're obviously heavily involved in now is um, something that we're really passionate about, the awareness of like making people talk about it. And we've had so many people, Renee's unbelievable at <laughs> actually writing back to people and like communicating, but the amount of people that wrote to us and said that they felt like they told their story through mm. us because we told them they're like yeah we had exactly the same this was that that age and this happened and then we started this and that and this and that and um all of that was like this is why we did it we want people to talk about it. we got these tattoos because i want people to ask me about you've it you've got a, a, both a got a, puzzle piece a puzzle piece when you're up so um i'm gonna have to take off on yes that you go <laughs> um it's been a pleasure thanks brother sorry to leave it this no, time no. of the thing but renee will give you a lot not at all i'm just gonna hit pause <laughs> So the big fellas walked out to, to go and get Jacob. <laughs> yes. Um, we were just talking about the tattoos. Hmm. What do you reckon Nirvana is for you as a parent hmm. of a beautiful little man who's going to face numerous situations along the way? What, what's Nirvana for you now? Honestly, all I care about is that Joe, Jacob and Miller are happy and healthy. At the end of the day, you want your kids to be passionate and striving for things that they want to do. And I think regardless of Jacob's diagnosis or not, that has not changed, not for Jacob nor for Miller. And we're going to give them the absolute best opportunity um, to succeed in their lives and to do things that they love. Um, And we're going to give Jacob and Miller the same opportunities to do that, which is why Jacob's doing 25 to 30 hours a week of therapy at the moment. What does therapy mean for those that haven't been involved? Yeah, so Jacob's doing a combination of ABA therapy, which they use um, for autism. It's applied behaviour analysis therapy. Um, And he's also doing a bit of EDSM, which is early start Denver model, which I know that's going to sound like another language to people who aren't doing this. But basically... He's doing that kind of therapy. He's also doing speech therapy, occupational therapy. And it's basically at the moment teaching Jacob life skills. So we're not sitting down with Jacob teaching him ABCs and one, two, threes at the moment. It's teaching him life skills. And the very first skill that he learnt in his ABA therapy was eye contact. And it sounds so simple, but it was such a huge milestone for Jacob to be able to turn, look at us when we say his name, give us eye contact. And great, we've ticked that box. So it's as small as eye contact all the way through to like school curriculum. Now, we're really lucky that Jacob was diagnosed at two and a half. And one of the biggest things about us creating awareness for autism is that early intervention is the best thing that you can do for a child on the spectrum. So if there is any doubt in anyone's mind as to whether they should or shouldn't go through the diagnosis process, then we would absolutely advise anyone, yes, because at least go and do the assessment process and find out there wasn't a diagnosis rather than not do it and find out that there was a diagnosis that was missed and that early intervention opportunities weren't there. So what Jacob is doing at the moment is is in his therapy is a lot of play-based 
life social skills. Mm. Um, one of Jacob's, one of the red flags, I guess, in um, us going and getting the assessment process was that he was very socially isolated. So he was interested in what adults were doing or what we were doing, um, but not at all his peers. So we would go to play groups or classes or fitness classes or whatever it was and all of the kids would be down one end enjoying all of the entertainment and Jacob would be down the other end of the room playing with a toy on his own um, and be socially isolated and then we started asking ourselves some questions. So now Jacob goes to a therapy centre for three hours um, in the mornings and he's in there with other kids. He's doing group activities. He's also working one-on-one with therapists in that time, but he's getting that um, those social skills and stuff as well. So it sounds so basic and things that I guess with our, his twin sister, Miller, we don't even think about. Mm. Um, she's chatting, she's talking, she's interacting, she's asking questions, um, whereas Jacob's not doing those things. So, you know, he's ticking boxes and he's reaching smaller milestones at the moment. Reading about it again over the last couple of days, Renee, something mm. that hit me, um, in some ways it's a really personal question, but yeah. I'm going to yeah, ask yeah. you anyway. It talked about the percentage of married couples mm. that don't mm. stay together. Mm. You've obviously read all this. Absolutely. Due, due to the situation that's going on. So how yeah. are you and Joe? It's one thing to say, wow, well, they've got all this money so they can throw money at a problem and they've got mm-hmm. all this help. But the real, the, yeah. the realistic side of it, you're living half your life in one country, half your life in, in another country, you're getting yeah. pulled in all sorts of directions. How do you and Joe go about keeping your relationship going, which is the key to anything mm. moving forward, I guess? No, I can say since... The day that Jacob was diagnosed, that first two weeks, I don't think I slept a wink because I read every fact and every brochure. Um, I was on the internet till all hours of the morning watching documentaries, reading success stories, looking at studies. It was ridiculous and it got me nowhere. Um, But one of the very first things that Joe and I actually did read was how high the divorce rate is Mm. with... Um, people with children on the spectrum and it kind of hit us hard but at the same time I'm glad we read that because I think it makes you invest in each other Um, and once we got through probably that first two to four weeks where it really was just so many questions after questions after questions and not knowing what things were going to look like um, we sat down and we were able to actually just cipher through it and I think sometimes we just have to stop and be Um, we've learnt now to go out to dinner and not to talk about therapy and not to talk about Hmm. kids. And that's a hard thing to do. You don't even realise you're doing it until you're doing it. And especially with the logistics of Joe's career and my career and in different spots and in different countries and in different training settings, the obvious thing to talk about when we get together again is the kids and where things are at and where therapy's at and logistically and um, you can get a bit overwhelmed with that. I'm not going to lie or pretend that this hasn't been incredibly tough on Joe and I as a couple and on the four of us as a family. However, I know so deep down in my heart that regardless of anything, how much Joe has my back and vice versa, he would know that as well. So on the tough days, there might be a snide remark that goes back and forwards from one of us to the other or whatever it is, or raising the eyebrows. But at the end of the day, we're actually on the same team. And if there's one thing in our entire careers that Joe and I would like to pride ourselves on or the legacy we'd like to leave is 
um, that we're team players. And I think it's so easy to talk about that from a netball and a basketball perspective and, you know, all of the cliche lines about teamwork. But even before the kids, that's the way Joe and I have always run our lives. We're a really good team. Um, and the four of us at home are a really good team, good and bad days. And I think that actually counts for a lot is just having each other's back, especially on the bad days and not the good days. And I think our lives are tough. Like, and I know people look at us and think because we've got money that it's an easy fix. I can definitely confirm that it takes the financial stress away from Jacob's therapies, but it doesn't doesn't make day-to-day runnings of our lives any easier or any different. Um, But it is nice not to have that financial stress on top of it. But at the end of the day, we're a family of four that are managing careers and kids in different spots um, and that's stressful. And then you add a child with special needs on that and that's stressful as well. So um, one of the greatest things about Joe is whilst some days I might get, you know, angry that, I don't know, the washing wasn't done or the house isn't as clean as what it, what, anything, whatever it is, or that he's home from practice later or whatever it is. At the end of the day, all I have to do is look across the room and see Joe and how hands-on he is with Jacob and Miller and his love for them and their absolute admiration for their dad. And hmm. at the end of the day, you tick that box, don't you? Because you've got happy and healthy kids with a dad who loves them. And whilst he has a crazy travel schedule and he's home with us, he really is home with us. And that means a lot. The last episode of the Howie Games, which is just about blowing up the download system, featured former England captain Michael Vaughan. Vaughan, he told some brilliant stories, including one about Freddie Flintoff after the famous 2005 Ashes win. And I always remember uh, going to this nightclub and then coming back to the hotel and there was, there was a, like the, the room that they'd set up for the team and all the family and guests were all in there. And Freddie had stayed in the, the hotel, he couldn't go out, there was too many people wanting to see him. So he stays in the hotel, I go with the team at about 3.30, my head switches on. I think, oh, a bit, bit worse for wear, but I've got to do all the press at half seven. Oof. Better get back. So I leave the team in Mahiki, I get back, cameras everywhere, they get back to the hotel. And I thought, oh, I'll just go and check, see what's happening. And I'd left Freddie uh, probably four four hours early, pint of Guinness, white T-shirt, full of his mates from Preston. Like He had them all the time, he's a good, good set of pals. And I thought, I'd just go and chat. I walked in. He's there still, part of Guinness. Not so white tea, so I stole it to him. All right, Fred. Yeah, all right, scoop. I said, remember in the morning, half eight, suited and booted downstairs in reception, got to go on that bus ride. He's looking at me and go, no, bugger, I'll turn up. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we'll see. Anyway, so I, I go up to me and have a sleep. And then I kind of had three or four hours, wake up, get my suit on, go downstairs, get to the reception. And the manager, Phil Neely, said... Uh, he said, Skip, let's look outside the thousands. Huh. He said, everything's been pushed back by half an hour. Do us a favour, go up to the team room, sign the bats and all the shirts for all the charities. He said, once your moniker's on, the team will follow. And all right. So I kind of crawl up the stairs, turn right, turn right, the party room. And I looked in the big fella, jeans, white T-shirt, party Guinness. <laughs> Still going. <laughs> Still going. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to shout him, Freddie's suited and booted and I'll see you downstairs. Oh, Skip, yeah, got one for the road. <laughs> So you know, mate. So I go and stand about, going to stairs, do the do the interviews. Half eight comes off. I do no flints off. So the manager Phil says, "Bready, where is he?" I said, "I'm here. Don't worry. I'm thinking no chance to never turn up." All of a sudden, he arrives down the stairs, and he just comes down. His suit 
obviously been done this tie by his missus and he comes straight to me. I always remember he just comes up to me and he whispers in me and he goes, struggling, Skip. <laughs> That's former England cricket captain Michael Vaughan on episode 73 of The Howie Games. Alrighty, back to Joe and Renee. You're a netball career. Mm. Illustrious, to say the least. <laughs> um, I just want to distill it more or less into two games. Sure. Um, obviously the... Uh, so there's, there's the World Cup, World Championship side of things, but I, I guess for the Australian viewing audience it's the Commonwealth Games. Mm-hmm. Um, I was mm. lucky enough to be at Delhi in 2010 with Channel 10 and in Glasgow in 2014 where you won't yes. remember but I actually met you and Joe after you'd won the gold medal. Um, it must have been right at the end of the Commonwealth Games. We yep. were having a few beers. Um, through a fellow yeah. by the name of Andrew Jansen, I, I think. actually remember this. Right. Yeah, I can remember but the old pub yes, that we were in. Yes, that's it, yep. that's it. Yep. But 2010, um, yes. Luke Darcy, AFL commentator, was commentator in the netball that time, yep. Um, yep. probably alongside Lizzie Ellis, I presume. Yep. Um, were you on the court right at the end of that match? I played the entire full-time four quarters and then I was taken off the court for extra time. Okay, so for those that aren't aware... That was like the longest netball game yes. ever. How many extra time? What happened in the end? It, it was- went, we played double extra time and then it went to playing for as long as it goes for until the other team win by two. Which Because so, we kept drawing in double overtime. Okay, so you're on the bench at this stage. You yes. played your heart out. Mm. The final shot for mm. the Kiwis go in. Yeah. What's happening I still actually remember that day and that feeling because that was heartbreaking and I actually had to hold on to that feeling for a couple of years because from that Commonwealth Games, I was the only player dropped from that team leading into the World Championships in 2011, which the Diamonds went and won. So that was almost like their redemption. Why were you dropped? Um, Performance. Um, I, I remember the camp that we came into and it was before a tour to Jamaica um, in the January and the coaches just sat me down and said, um, need you fitter, stronger, more powerful. Um, we're just going to change it up. We need something fresh. Um, go away and do all these things. And So they all got redemption? Yes. And, and you I didn't? didn't? Yes. Yes. So I remember being really dev- – I was, I was a mess actually when I missed out on the World Championships because I'd wanted to be at World Championships. I'd worked for that for about four years up to that date and missed out. And I remember thinking when we'd come home from Delhi, um, whilst it was an amazing game on the world stage for netball and for everyone to see that, I remember thinking I didn't just run a race and get a silver. I lost a game and got silver. So I wasn't really – as proud as I should have been to come home with a silver medal from the Commonwealth Games, mm. I felt like we'd lost the gold and I still had that burning desire in me, well, it's World Championships next year, we'll go away and we'll beat the Kiwis and we'll get the gold medal. And I got to watch all my mates do that. Did you watch the match? I did. I did. I actually watched it from Adelaide. I how, did. How was that, Renee? Tough. Oh. But do you know what? I missed out on that January tour and I remember thinking, right, I've got about six months to try and work my way back into this team and that's going to depend on how I play at the Melbourne Vixens that year. And I didn't play very well because I played trying to make a team and that's not the right way to do it. And in hindsight, that's an easy thing to say, a harder thing to do, especially when you're a young athlete. Mm. Um, And I felt like I had things to prove. And I said, you know what, Um, 
I need to learn more. I need to do more. I need to step out of my comfort zone. I've played here in Melbourne for seven years professionally now. I don't feel like I'm getting any better. I'm comfortable. And I actually, whilst the girls are at world championships, signed with the Adelaide Thunderbirds. And I remember watching the world championships game from Adelaide after I'd just signed a contract and went, right, this is why I've done this. This is my next four-year journey and I want to be on that podium in four years' time in Sydney. Wow. And I was. <laughs> and you were. Yes. And conversely, as I said, I saw you in Glasgow. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you actually had your medal on. You may have. Oh, we did. We yes, did. And actually. I'm not sure I took it off. Right. So what's it like? Were you on the court at the end of that match? I was. I was. Yep. So, so I, the best thing about doing this podcast is – so few athletes get to the top without being smashed along the way. You've oh, just yeah. told us how you were smashed. Mm. What is it like when you've done that work and then you are there and it's the same team yep. but the different result? Complete euphoria. It was just I'd worked so hard for that moment and I'd actually made huge decisions in my life to move away from home, to move teams that I was very loyal to, a club that I'd wanted to captain when I was growing up. Um, I felt like I'd made huge sacrifice and had to move into state and do three really hard years of work, not only to get myself back into the Australian team, but to get that gold medal and to stand on the podium in Glasgow. And I actually had my parents and Joe there and to look up into the crowd and be able to go, yep, we did this. I did it. Um, this is what I wanted was, you know, pretty cool. What's it like as a female athlete? Um, and at the highest profile levels, obviously Serena's done it. She's mm-hmm. had a baby and she's come back to professional sport. You had yeah. twins. Mm-hmm. You're away from the sport. You've come back to the sport. How different is, um, I don't want to say it's the wrong way, but <laughs> how different is the female body coming back after childbirth to play mm. professional sport at the elite level? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's amazing, <laughs> yeah. I know. I don't think I gave um, my body, especially before kids, enough credit. Um, and the hard work that you do um, to get fit and strong and all of those things. Um, I think from a physical perspective, my body is probably not where it was before I had kids, but I'm so much more mentally strong that my body does more than what it did when I was fit and strong. I genuinely believe that. I just think... Parenthood and motherhood gives you this entire new perspective on life and especially on my career of netball. Um, And I've never, ever taken anything for granted in my career. However, since having kids, the difference in my mindset is incredible. I wish I could shake a younger Renee or I wish I'd had kids earlier in my career. So how's the mindset changed? So much stronger, so much tougher Um, and just... I've always been an athlete that has wanted to do absolutely everything right in order to be the absolute best I could be, to do the most for my team, to um, make the Australian Netball Diamonds and win gold medals as a team and do all of those things. However, I thought every single thing had to be done, whereas now I think it's just being a parent, it's about prioritising. So... A, B, C needs to be done. If D gets done, great. But if it doesn't, it's not going to affect my performance on game day. And do you know what? It doesn't. Whereas it would have before kids because I'd go into a game thinking... I haven't done this. Yeah. Yep. And my mindset hasn't changed before and after kids in terms of the actual physical training I do. I still want to be the hardest worker out there. I still want to train the hardest. I want to leave no leaf unturned, no stone unturned in terms of 
what I'm doing in my preparation for game day. However, if that doesn't look perfect, it absolutely doesn't matter. And, you know, I don't get nervous on game days anymore. I see getting to run out there and play netball now as a huge bonus um, to being a mum and getting to show my kids what I do because I was always that athlete coming through saying, oh, God, well, I have kids. I'm not going to come back on the netball court and look at me. I've played another three years and I really, really enjoy it. But it's a bonus um, time, I guess, me time away from the kids. Um, But it's, it's not necessarily about, yeah, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. It's about going there, giving the quality and the second training finishes, I'm usually one of the quickest just to get home to the kids because I miss them so much, as ridiculous as it sounds. I told you this morning, I texted you saying, right, I'm on the way. (laughs) And you filled me with joy saying that you'd listen to some episodes of the podcast, which was um, (laughs) fills me with a ridiculous amount of joy, to be honest. Um, And this morning, um, my beautiful wife, Erica, is away Mm. on a trip with the girls. So... Mm. Um, you also realise what your partner does yes. when you're there. And yes. I was struggling to get them out of the door. Um, <laughs> and frequent listeners know I often get a question from my kids. Okay. Ask Ooh. them. Now, uh, my son, the big penguin, had one for Joe, but in the midst of uh, trying to make a toasted sandwich for him this morning and get his <laughs> footy gear ready, we didn't get to record it. But okay. my daughter. Oh, we were prepared okay. because uh, okay. she was Googling you last night um, <laughs> and we did this last night. I'm scared of what this question no, no. is going to be so if this she's is Googling. From, no, no, this is a uh, – she just wanted to know a bit more about your career. This is from my okay. daughter who rolls – who's nine. Okay. Um, she operates as the pickle. Uh, the pickle. This is her question for you. Hi, Renee. Pickle here. I play for the Bluebirds in the under-10s, but the umpires, well, they tell us off for everything. They tell us off for going offside, they tell us off for going stepping, and they tell us off for not putting our feet on the line. They tell us off for everything. It makes me crazy. Were the umpires like that when you were younger? It's feeding them when I watch her. And they do a beautiful job. She must be a clever little girl. Well, the umpires are like the mafia down Mm. there. Like the game would have (laughs) 70... Interruptions for instruction and uh, uh, free passes, etc. Yep. And I understand that that's the way that needs to be done. But she's getting frustrated with it. Were your umpires like that? And does it pay off in the long run? Oh, aren't umpires sticklers for the rules? Oh, Can you believe it? In netball, though. <laughs> wow. Oh, come on. The pickle's going to get me in trouble if I say something too controversial. <laughs> no, well, no, I think she's not talking now. I think she's no. talking about when you're a little one. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was that. But that only makes it, I mean, that's going to help um, in terms of learning all the rules, all of that thing, staying within the guidelines. And um, look, umpires stay just as tough now. I hate to break it to it. Do they? Make sure she doesn't leave the sport because of it. Right. But we couldn't play our game and certainly couldn't play the game at the level that we do without the umpires. So what we have to remember at the end of the day, whether it's umpires back at junior level or here at Super Netball or on the international stage, is that umpires are human too and they've got a job to do. Nice we just got to stay within their rules, don't we? So what she also wanted to ask, 
Where does your foot need to be? A real specific netball question Ooh. here for all the netballers. When you get a free pass yep. out of court. Oh, a where, throw in? Yes, a throw in. Where does your foot need to be in relation to the line? Because yep, she's telling me. This is tough. Because if it's too far away, yep. you, the opposition gets it. If mm-hmm. your foot's too close or gets on the line, the opposition gets it. Where's your foot meant to be, Ren? You have to make an attempt to step up to the line. Right. Yes. Okay. So I hope there's no umpires listening to this, but I think if the line's there, right, and I know this is not a visual representation, but you can back me up here. Yes. If I look down at the line, like I'm, oh, yep, making an attempt and then throw and go, then it's okay. Okay. So I reckon if the umpire sees you look that you're making an attempt to step up to the line, as long as you're not on the line, you should be okay. I will pass that on to her because I reckon she got pinned about nine times. Nine times. Last week, oh. And that was why she was getting a touch frustrated. Great question. She Great will question be very, because... very, very happy with that answer. <laughs> um, what what happens, um, this is a question I wanted to ask you, but I didn't want to ask you when Joe was here. Okay. What's it like, um, he's the unflashiest NBA player I've ever met. <laughs> The okay. science teacher people yes. call him Well, better. that's what they, they yeah, call him, the science slow teacher. Slow-mo Joe. or the maths yep. teacher. Yeah. Um, answer this any way you will. Answer it carefully. Do you sit with the wives and partners at a game of your teammates? Yeah, we all have a family area. Right. Um, which, yeah, pretty much all of the families all sit together, but there are also some season ticket holders in that space as well. And are the partners as often as rock star as the basketballers? Some of them, right. yes. I think it's definitely lower key in Utah. In Utah, rather and than if you're playing for the Lakers. Correct. Okay. And most of the season is completed in full snow in Utah. So, you know, wearing your stiletto heels into the game <laughs> in the snow with your massive snow jacket isn't always the most practical. Um, no, look, it's a really, really good bunch of girls. Um, we're obviously going into a new season now. There's actually been quite a few changes in the lineup. So get to meet a whole new bunch of families. I know that quite a few of them have kids, which is exciting. Um, there's a really cool family room down there and all the kids get to hang out and stuff. So whilst, yes, there is that, I guess, wag um, generalisation, it's pretty easy going in Utah and everyone um, fits in pretty well. But I'm probably the most relaxed in terms of outfits and what I wear to the games. I, I think the first couple of years I really felt pressure. I was like, oh, my God, NBA, everyone's going to be looking. Yep. And then I got over that pretty quickly because <laughs> right. there's 82 games a year. <laughs> I don't have that many cool that's outfits. A lot of, that's a lot of home games, isn't <laughs> that's it? That's exactly right. So. You're coming to the end of your netball mm-hmm. career for yeah, the second for time? For the second time, yeah. Um, what will it be? Because you've walked off the court once and know what that felt like. Yeah. And obviously the game drew you back. What's it going to be like when you walk off the court this time, do you reckon? I'm more excited this time. Um, I know that I'll miss netball because I love the game. That's obvious. Um, that was the same when I finished last time. But I'm genuinely excited for what's next for our family. And I think the thing that I'll miss the most is just being a part of a team. I really, really love this Melbourne Vixens team. Um, do I have a huge amount of desire to go to training and to work hard with all of them? Yes. Um, I'll have to find another fitness journey for me. Probably Kokoda next year is going to be that, but then what next? I'm not sure. You and Joe are doing Kokoda? Yes. To raise awareness and funds? Yep. To raise awareness and funds for our charity for ASD Kids. And we've got 20 
I think 22, 24, um, very willing people who are coming to do that um, with us, which we're really excited about. Have you been to Papua New Guinea before? No, I haven't. I'm going to struggle with the camping big time. Mm. Joe's going to struggle with the hiking big time. (laughs) (laughs) So it's going to be an experience, but that's what it's about, stepping outside our comfort zone. So I'm really excited for that. Excited for that. Uh, Look, I know I'm really going to miss netball, but I'm also really going to enjoy watching on um, with netball. And I just, the logistics of going backwards and forwards this year was really, really Uh tough and exhausting given Jacob's diagnosis. That makes it even a little bit more challenging. So I'm just excited to be with the family, um, find what my next thing is. Um, It's been an incredibly busy year. I've just finished my master's in high performance sport last month. And then I know that I'm finishing up in netball. So I kind of feel like I'm going to go to Utah and be a little bit bored for a while. So so you followed through. You didn't just pay for the course and never actually log Correct. on. Correct. <laughs> I followed through. A few if yes. you've got to the master's yeah, level. that's exactly Congratulations. Right. Thank you very much. Um, but I'm making my parents and Joe all sign contracts to not let me do anything, just to make me be bored over this Christmas period this year because I'm not very good at being bored um, and I jump in and, and want to get my hands dirty and do more, more, more. But I think it's just come time um, in our lives to just – kick back and relax a little bit when the kids are in school and Joe's at practice and all of those sorts of things. So Sounds like it. La- last we'll question see. for you. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, mm. I like to see those contracts. Yeah. <laughs> you just mentioned the charity. Yeah. Just tell me again the name of the charity, how people can get involved in any way, shape or form. Yeah, so we're really, really excited and really passionate, I guess, about being on board at 4ASD Kids. And it's a charity that was started 10 years ago by Matt Rogers and Chloe Maxwell. Their son, Max, as Joe mentioned earlier in the podcast, is on the spectrum. Um, I think one of the biggest learnings that both they had and that we had over this journey is that it's really stressful getting the diagnosis or even going through the diagnosis process. So 4ASD Kids is there um, for education, support, and also financial support for early intervention and kids that are on the spectrum because it's a huge financial burden on families and both of us as families are lucky enough to be in a position to get our kids the therapy that they need but not all families are Um, and Joe and I especially once Joe had signed his new contract we've always talked about how we needed to give back to the community that have given so much to us we just didn't know what that was going to look like or the right charity or people or Mm. what it was that we should join and put all our um efforts and energy into, I guess. And as soon as Jacob got the diagnosis that very day, we were like, right, this is what's meant to be. This is Jacob was given to us for a reason. And let's give back to the autism community, raise awareness, get people talking about it and asking the right questions to support people and families. And then hopefully raise some really important funds so that families can get their children the help that they need. Renee, I have been blown away by chatting with you and Joe. Best of luck for the rest of the netball season. Thank you. Uh, the next trip back to Utah, the contract that you're going to sign to do bugger all, um, <laughs> to everything that you've got ahead of you with Jacob and Miller. Um, thanks Thank for joining you. me on the Howie Games. Um, it's going to be an episode that blows people's socks off. Thank you very much. Thanks, Howie. 
Quite a story the Ingalls have to tell, thanks to the both of them for telling it with such honesty. The charity once again just Google for ASD kids. Little Jacob bowled into the kitchen at the completion of this episode after a morning at therapy and basically took charge of the house. He is a ripping little man. Thanks again to Joe and Renee. Thanks also to Darcy Thompson for putting the whole thing together and to Kim Norman and a sales team at Podcast One for all their hard work and faith in the show. Until Thursday, August 29, with Andrew Gaze. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.